Welcome to another edition of the PW Mania Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Justin C. Joined again this week by my co-host, Cam, and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, as we are here to talk about a variety of topics taking place in the world of WWE and AEW this week. Uh, we'll start with the WWE side of stuff right now, and I guess the big news coming out of SmackDown on Friday. A couple things. We'll start with the return of Charlotte Flair, who came back after uh, CG's WrestleMania was April, so two-month hiatus away from the WWE ever since she lost to Rhea Ripley. Asuka is getting presented her new women's title belt and she just shows up and kind of demands a rematch from Adam Pearce and gets it after Adam Pearce has given her uh, Bianca Belair a hard time about getting a rematch earlier in the night and now Charlotte is here and I guess from the Smackdown that is taking place in London before Money in the Bank Charlotte gets a shot at the new at Asuka's new women's uh, championship and we're back to you know Charlotte 14 reigns here I mean can't believe anybody gets excited about her. I know we've had this discussion about her before when there was talk about her having problems with creative a while back. It's like the problem is Charlotte is always at the top and you're getting to a point now, at least with me with Charlotte, where I'm just like, I don't want to see her fight for a title. I want to see her fight with women like Raquel Rodriguez, like uh, Alba Fire, uh, you know, like Liv Morgan and have programs with her rather than always having to be around Charlotte and the title. I mean, I cannot remember the last time Charlotte was involved with a few that didn't involve the women's title or the SmackDown or raw she's always involved with it and i feel like i don't know I, I would think a lot of people are getting that way too i mean i don't understand the appeal of charlotte coming back and getting a match right away with asuka it makes me automatically nervous that asuka's losing the title and i would hope that i was hoping that maybe when once vince was gone well, i mean quote unquote gone that you know Triple H wouldn't put that much presence on Charlotte uh, in the women's division, but here we are back with her coming back, going right into this women's title as like uh, a picture again. So I'll go over to you, Chairman, first. What were your thoughts when you saw uh, Charlotte show up on SmackDown on Friday? Yeah, I wasn't very happy to see Charlotte flare back because she's like a shark in the water that just goes after the title. She basically has no other character at all except for chasing championship gold. Like, can you do anything else? Like your four horsewomen counterparts at least can do other things and tell her stories. You know, Bailey has damage control and Becky kind of has, you know, feuds and stuff without championships involved. And obviously, so did Sasha or Mercedes Monet, whatever you want to call her. But obviously, Charlotte can't do nothing else. This is all she does is comes for the gold. You know, it's, it's boring, it's repetitive, it's stupid. And her title reigns are nothing spectacular. All she's trying to do now is pump up her numbers to tie Daddy Dearest. That's all it is. She's nothing special. I mean, I'm not going to take away her in-ring work. She does have some good matches. We did see a really good match against Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. But her character sucks. It's boring. She can't be a face. No one gets behind it. And if they're going to try to like make her a face because like Bianca Belair is going to screw her over, it's going to end poorly, I think. And Asuka, I don't know if she's a face or a heel. She's kind of teetering, I think, right now. But I, I, I think this women's division right now if you're going to get Oscar, Bianca, and Charlotte especially involved, it's going to get really interesting and probably not for the better. Um, Charlotte involved in any entire picture is a concern right now. And this is not good for Oscar if they actually flip the title this quick. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Uh, like, what is her her character can't do anything but fight for the title because she's Charlotte Flair. And like you said, I am not going to take anything, anything away from her either. She's had good matches. You know, like you said, uh, with Rhea, I mean, I remember even her match with Ronda Rousey at last year's WrestleMania was pretty good too. So it's not like, in-ring-wise, it's bad, but it's the same thing over and over and over again. And it's like, how, like you said, how many times do you have to see this where why couldn't she have come back and had a few with damage control? Why couldn't she have come back? Why couldn't she have come back as a tag? team partner to fight you know whoever walks out with the new unified women's tag titles that are going to happen in a couple weeks too it's like come on like what is the end game with charlotte here other than like you said to pass her dad and um yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything about anybody's looks, but good lord, I swear, every single time she comes back, she has some kind of new facial surgery done. This is, it's amazing when you look at NXT photos of her and photos and looking at her now that it's even the same person. Um, Cam, what are your thoughts when you saw Charlotte come back? I mean, the crowd did pop for her, but it's been a while, so you can understand. You can understand that she's a she's a she's a staple of the WWE Women's Division for the last ten years or so. 
Um, I mean, I don't think if Vince was if Vince was here, they probably had the match that night, and she puts the title right back on her. Um, they're saving it for the SmackDown for the Go Home Show for Money in the Bank. I mean, I feel like Oscar's going to retain that title. I feel like they needed someone to give Oscar, you know, not only a lengthy title reign but a win over a big name. And you know, if you you have her win the match, and then they could even run it back the two days later or the next night, actually, um, in London, you know, they could run it back some sort of screwy finish and then run it back. Um, or if you you know want to have her get close to Ric Flair, have her beat Oscar by cheating on SmackDown, and then run the back run the match back at Money in the Bank, and Oscar beats her. If you want to do that, you know it takes a little, a little bit away from Oscar, but I think that her character has really developed, you know, since Vince has left. You know, Triple H has obviously see something in her, so I don't really necessarily see Charlotte taking the title off her and having any sort of lengthy run. Um, it's just the name I think to come back. She feels almost like a part timer. I don't really see her, you know coming back full time as she gets a little bit older. I don't think that she maybe, I don't know if she wants to work a full-time schedule or not, but I feel like she has become a part-time, you know, name for the WWE women's roster, someone that can come back and have a, have a great match with Oscar. You know, a couple of years ago, she ended Oscar streak. Everyone wasn't happy with that. Um, I don't think we're going to get that same, same time around, but you know, like I said, she was, it's a name, you know, Bianca doesn't get the rematch, you know, you don't want her to see face Natty or, any of the lower, you know, card women of the the division, you need like a big title match because Money in the Bank's shaping up to be a pretty big show. It obviously is kind of like their quote, like their fifth biggest pay per view of the year. Um, even though Survivor Series has lost its lund- uh, thunder there the last few years, but we'll see what happens this year. But yeah, it's like your fifth biggest pay per view of the year. You do need like a big time card, and I feel like you know Oscar will beat her, and I feel like Charlotte comes back you know, to have some matches and then work her way back into who knows how, what kind of match she'll have when we get to the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, we pretty much look at Money in the Bank now. I mean, it takes place around the same time King of the Ring did. King of the Ring was always June. Uh, Money in the Bank now normally takes place like early July, the first week of July. So that's pretty much, I agree with you, it's taken place of the, it's taken the, the stand as the fifth biggest uh, show of the year. I think you might even be able to argue that Survivor, it's past Survivor Series, and maybe Survivor Series is five, and um, and Money in the Bank is four. You may be able to make that argument too. But um, like I said, we got Money in the Bank coming up. It's on Saturday, July 1st, so it's um, still three weeks away, but the card is kind of starting to uh, take shape for this show. Um we have how many people total do we have so far announced for the Money in the Bank? We have five each for the each women's each Money in the Bank match. On the men's side, we've got uh, Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, L.A. Knight, Santos Escobar, and Butch. With the last person uh, being determined between a Riddle, Damian Priest match this coming Monday, and then we've got Zelina, Becky, Zoe Stark, Bailey, and Io Sky. With one woman left to qualify. I don't believe they've announced how they're going to or who's going to be fighting in the last match for that, though. I can't say for sure, but I'm looking up right now and I don't see anything. It's an interesting set of, uh, you know, wrestlers, I think, here. I mean, especially when you look at the men's side. And I think, Chairman, it's you pointed out that you kind of look at this group of men here right now at the moment. And if you want to throw Riddle and Damian Priest in there, too. But neither one of them, I kind of agree with you that. I mean, we love L.A. Knight and all these guys are good in their own way, but none of them scream somebody that can take the title off of Seth or uh, Roman Reigns, don't you think? Oh, yeah. So, like I said, when I was watching SmackDown and tweeted this, I'm like, you know, there's nothing against these guys. You know, Shinsuke, you know, I'm a big fan of. L.A. Knight's growing, you know. Santos is solid. Pete Dunne, not Butch. You know, I like him too, Ricochet. But it's like, the way that Roman Reigns has been portrayed, obviously, for the last several years now, and same with Seth Rollins, even. Do I realistically see any of these guys trying to cash in on those two and winning? I don't see it. Like, sure, you can go the NXT route, maybe, or be weird like Fury and go after a, a U.S. title. Or, I mean, you can't even go after Intercontinental because Guther, same way, he's portrayed, you know, phenomenally as well. So it's like, this is kind of a weak group. I mean, I understand the right people are in the match. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely good for guys that never been a world champion, you know, a good stepping stone to build up, you know, like it was years ago, but it's just like, so massively insane right now. Like how Roman and Seth are like on these giant pedestals right now, especially Roman. And these other guys are kind of this way down below. Like, I don't even think any of these guys can match up to Gunther. I think Gunther's beaten half these guys already in his intercontinental title run. So it's like, it's just a weird thing to me, you know, 
I was kind of hoping Dominic Mysterio would have got put in this match because of all the heel heat he's getting. And I think he'd be kind of a fun one to have the briefcase. But, you know, it is what it is. I'll be interested to see how this plays out. And obviously this isn't the final, you know, until it's final, until we get to the event. You know, someone can get taken out and someone could have to fight their way back in. There's lots of crazy shit. But right now, it's kind of a weak field for the men. And I'm just glad, though, that um, Baron Corbin didn't end up in it. Because when I saw him fighting Bush uh, this past Friday in SmackDown, I was like, oh, man, please, anybody but Baron Corbin. And I'm like, then I saw Kamala Hayes was there in the crowd from NXT. So I'm like, okay, then they're going to continue that program so we don't have to worry about Baron Corbin winning here. Though, of course, then I was worried that he would win and cash in on Carmelo Hayes because that would be something. And plus, when the hell did Baron Corbin start wrestling in, like, a, a tank top and shorts? He looks like a complete, like, buffoon out there wrestling like that. But, hey, the guy's still got a job. He's making money. So I guess good for him if that's how you want to wrestle but yeah you're right like you said i mean all of these guys are good in their own way but i don't know which of these guys are possibly somebody you elevate to the next spot that's why i'm almost thinking that if i had to pick right now i would pick the winner of the riddle damian priest matches coming monday on raw as i think is possibly the favorite and then i've said before on the women's side it's the same thing it's like yeah you've got obviously the star power of becky and bailey but i think becky and zoe stark kind of cancel each other out there where you know like they won't let each other win. Um, I don't think Zelina Vega's a candidate to win. And again, not somebody that I find that credible as to beat a, a Rhea or an Asuka or Charlotte. And then, you know, of course, you got Bailey and Io Sky. How you want to play that off with damage control. So who the hell knows how that will end up happening. But I would love to I would have loved to see Io cash in and then get months of Io versus Asuka on TV and on pay-per-view or I'm sorry, premium live event. Um, but who knows what, how the hell that's going to shape up now with Charlotte Flair back in the fold. Um, so it's it's good that it's interesting as far as who could possibly win, but I don't think any of them jump out as somebody that could be credible enough to beat the current respective champions. Um, what do you think, Cam? I'll start with the women. I think, I mean, I think it's a little bit more clear-cut on the women's side who can win. I think is kind of the the star in the making, I can kind of see like where she maybe throws Bailey off the ladder or something or beats up Bailey and, and gets there. And that's kind of how damage control, damage control completely splits. Um, yeah. Like you said, Becky and Zoe kind of cash or cancel each other out. They'll probably have some sort of continuous feud as we head towards, you know, assuming Trish and Becky, um, you know, SummerSlam or something like that, where Becky gets a win back, win back later down the road. Um, but I think EO is kind of the <clears throat> clear cut favor. And I mean, go to the men's side. I mean, I think that, I mean, maybe none of these guys can beat Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins, but let's just be happy that if Vince was in charge, it would be Baron Corbin and it would be, you know, Dolph Ziegler. And it would be these guys that no one wants to see in a, in a ladder match that requires, you know, great athleticism. I mean, I can't wait for Santos Escobar and Ricochet to do some crazy shit. I mean, that's going to be a phenomenal match. Uh, to me, I mean, I think LA Knight's the clear-cut guy here. I mean, Riddle, you know, we've said before he could be a world champion down the road, but I don't think he's his character's fully recovered. I don't think Triple H puts that much stock into him because who knows what he's going to do with his personal life. Um, Damian Priest, you know, could be a name. I that that match, you know, is kind of up in the air. I could see maybe they could just put them both in there because you know, like yeah, let's just throw another guy in there. It's it's wrestling. There are no real rules. Um, but I think LA Knight's the guy. And if I'm LA Knight and if I'm Triple H, you know, um, LA Knight's the guy that dethrones Austin Theory. I mean, LA Knight is super over. Can he beat Seth Rollins? I don't think he should. Would he beat Roman Reigns? I don't think, you know, obviously that wouldn't happen. And if you want LA Knight to really start climbing this ladder like they've done with Gunther, where you don't want to put him quite in the main event scene yet, you want to build him and build him, LA Knight cashing in, you know, at, at um, SummerSlam or something along those lines to be Austin Theory, not only gains his popularity, he'll be even more over. People will love him more, especially if he's the one that beats LA or if he beats Theory. Um, so I think that's probably the best route to go to because I think LA Knight and Theory kind of match well with their personas. Theory could, you know, run his mouth and um, LA Knight could just say yeah to him. Crowd loves it. Um, I think that's kind of the best option. And we've kind of already seen it, you know, last year, like I said, with Theory, you know, going after the U.S. title instead of the one of the set of Roman Reigns. Um, Money in the Bank right now doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, again, it's wrestling, so you don't have to. He has to challenge a world champion, and they're not going to challenge the NXT champion, um, even though Carmelo Hayes versus any of those guys would be fantastic. But I think that that's kind of the route to go is Money in the Bank could kind of become like the, 
the focal point of the mid-card division if you want to move forward, especially, you know, like I said, Roman Reigns is losing the title to, like, one of three guys, and none of those guys are in that match. Um, Seth Rollins is on a run. I could see LA Knight winning the Money in the Bank and challenging Seth Rollins down the road, but then you don't want to lose his character. Plus, they're both basically baby faces, so don't really know what you want to do there. But I think LA Knight's kind of the clear-cut guy because he's not the big, you know, move off the top, you know, jumping off the top rope, jump off the ladder type of wrestler. Um, so you could have all these guys just beat the living crap out of each other and LA Knight sneak up and win and win. And he could cash in on theory. And I think it's the best. It's a win-win for everybody involved. Yeah, they set the precedent last year, like you said, as far as it's not having to be somebody to cash in on as far as world champion goes. So that may be a good jumping point from them. I'm like you said, I don't think either of these guys beat Gunther anyway. Speaking of Gunther, by the way, he is now um, past and a year now as intercontinental champion, which is a pretty good feat for anybody in this day and age. I mean, I'm bringing up the um, list of intercontinental champions now, but he's pretty close to beating the honky tonk man's record as I bring it up here. But I mean, first of all, I've always, I've never been that big of a fan of the new design of the intercontinental title, but I think it looks I think Gunther makes it work. Like, I think if Gunther had had the original IC title design, like everybody wanted, I don't think that would have been the, it wouldn't have looked good on him. Um, so I think it works. This new title design. It's weird how sometimes the character can make the title belt look good. Um, but yeah, so Gunther is currently at 366 days. Uh, honky tonk man is 454 days. So quick math off the top of my head. That's 54 and, 37 so you're looking at like another 91 92 days for gunther to hold on to this title in order to pass the honky tonk man which i think at this point i would be stunned if it didn't happen i mean we all thought roman reigns was going to lose before a thousand days and that didn't happen they got him to a thousand days so i would be absolutely stunned if for some reason gunther ended up losing the intercontinental title before he ends up breaking breaking the honky tonk man's record so that kind of leads us into a discussion that I want to talk about as far as Gunther's place in the realm of the history of intercontinental champions. I mean, like I said, the only people ahead of him right now are Don Morocco, Randy Savage, Pedro Morales, and the Honky Tonk Man. Now, of course, you've had wrestlers like Mr. Perfect hold the intercontinental title, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, you know, the list just goes on and on. Jericho, Edge, uh, you know, just name, name after name. And it's interesting to see if you want to combine all those guys' reigns. I mean, like Jericho had so many reigns. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon had so many names. But trying to figure out where Gunther ranks as far as intercontinental champion of all time. I mean, if he passes Honky Tonk Man, I'll, I'll go to you, Sharon, first. Does that make him number one on the list? Or is there a, like a better body of work out there from reigns from intercontinental champions that might put somebody higher still? He's just lucky the Iron Sheik is still not with us, or he'd break that jabroni's neck. Rest in peace, Bubba. Yes. But, um, but um, yeah, it's tough out there. I mean, to say if he would be number one de facto if he beats the Honky Tonk Man's record. And this is where it gets interesting, because I don't really think so much Guthers had a lot of, like, great matches. And it's not his fault by any means. It's like, he's had some good matches, but, like, his opponents, they're kind of like whatever guys. You know, he's had some good ones with obviously Sheamus and Drew and stuff like that, but like the Ricochets, the Shinsuke's, just the way they are, it's like, you know, versus like the era when like Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and Macho Man, you know, those guys were wrestling like guys in the time, you know, they're up and coming up the card. And of course, most of them were future world champion, mid that caliber guys, whereas Gunther's beaten most of the guys he's wrestled, they're kind of like, they're mid-card guys for life, you know, exception of, like, Drew and Sheamus, you know. I mean, and there's probably maybe a few others, but, like, Gunther's reign has probably been the best reign since 2016, you know, run of Miz when Miz was Intercontinental Champion because there was some really good stuff. You know, Miz had a match with Dolph Ziggler, I remember, at No Mercy when they first did that, uh, redid the brand split again. Like, Miz's Intercontinental title runs were fire. And it's been kind of a dead title since then until Gunther's got it. You know, now it's got some, importance again the title feels important again it's used to elevate a guy who could be a future world champion made that caliber guy and that's what gunther i see being once he graduates from the intercontinental title division like he's not going to go be a eight nine time intercontinental champion you know like someone like the miz or jericho is doing he's going to go right for the throat he's going to go after 
Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins belt next. You know, I think at some point, you know, he's definitely the guy. So as far as all time, though, it's really it's really interesting because there's a lot of guys from back in the day, you know, that you named off Justin that, you know, put that title up there. I mean, I even remember when like Triple H, Rock and Stone Cold were all had it fight for the Intercontinental title in the Attitude Era. You know, it was a great title for people to use to propel themselves if they could be the next guy. And I think it's finally being used in that right versus just a pass around or whatever, forgotten about, doesn't even get used on premium or live events title. It's important again. And I think Guthrie's presentation and the way they've used him, you know, definitely helps in that regard. So hopefully he breaks the record because Honky Tonk Man is garbage. Just let Guthrie break the record, you know, let him go out in style. And then he will definitely be a future world champion someday. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I've we talked about him possibly and maybe the guy that end Roman Reigns streak at some point down the line. Who knows? It's funny looking at this list. I just think like things like like Shelton Benjamin had a 244-day Intercontinental title reign back in 2000, from 2004 to 2005. That's like weird that, man. It was like early 2000s years after like WrestleMania 18 or it's just like a void to me, like as far as all these kinds of title reigns. But that's, of course, when the Intercontinental title really didn't mean too much and then even was gone for a little bit in 2002 until it was brought back six months later. Um, Cam, what about you? Where do you have Gunther ranking as far as Intercontinental Champions of all time? Well, I mean, just like the last 10 years or so, you definitely got to put him at the top of the list. You know, you named off Jericho and and these guys. But for the longest time, even though you've been doing this podcast for for many years now, the Intercontinental title was never really nothing. You know, they foiled around with with it for a couple months here and there trying to make it relevant. But, you know, they never really did nothing big with it. but I think Gunther's kind of brought it back to the main, the main stage. I mean, he, like you said, you named off Macho Man, and it reminds me of like a Macho Man, a Ho- or a Hogan, a Stone Cold, a Rock, you know, type of run where you're like, okay, this guy's gonna be a world champion one day. This is kind of just the stepping stone. And I think Gunther's that first guy here in the last at least five years where you look at him and say, okay, this guy is gonna be a world champion one day. He's just gonna have a really lengthy Intercontinental title run. Um, you try to think of someone right now that could take the title off him. There's really nobody, um, unless you had someone to go down the. I mean, if you had a Roman Reigns or a Seth Rollins or someone that's at the top of the cards go down a notch to kind of face Gunther. Right now, Gunther's definitely going to beat Honky Tonk Man. Right? And you're talking about what another 90 something days, so that's going to get us till um, right around Survivor Series time. So he'll pass it at Survivor Series or around that time. Um, I mean, you could see him hold it. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's one of those things where we can make an argument for Jay Uso or guys like that that could possibly step up, but, you know, um, that could beat Gunther down the road. But right now, they're, Gunther's kind of the guy. And the only thing that I the only thing I don't like about the presentation is that uh, the rest of Imperium is treated like goobers for the most part. So you have Gunther, who's this really badass wrestler who no one can beat for the Intercontinental Champion. He's the leader of Imperium, but his two lackeys are kind of – you know, they're just lackeys. They don't really bring nothing to the table. Um, so at some point, maybe he'll separate from them. Who knows? But, I mean, you definitely said, like, the last five, ten years, he's definitely at the top of the list. And once he passes Honky Tonk Man's goofy reign from the 1980s or 90s, whenever it was, um, he'll probably be considered at least a top five intercontinental champion of all time. Yeah, that's where I kind of am right now, too, where I think I'd probably put him as far as Intercontinental Champions, like, top five. I mean, you have to look at it, like, the way I look at it is guys, like, like what do I associate, who do I associate with the Intercontinental? Like, does their career, like, for me, like, yeah, Shawn Michaels is a good Intercontinental Champion, but I associate Shawn Michaels more with his run as World Champ in 96. Now I look at a guy like, you know, Razor Ramon, that's a guy who, like, pretty much I associate the Intercontinental title with in the 90s. I mean, he held the title um, four times, so he's a guy I consider a good, a great Intercontinental Champion. Um, like guys like that, like, you know, Mr. Perfects, you know, him, he's a guy, he never really got to the top, but he had two reigns over one over a hundred days, the other one, 280 days. So that's a guy I consider to be a great intercontinental champion. But again, that's not taking anything away from Gunther. I mean, we don't know what Gunther's final story is that maybe 10 years from now, he'll be remembered more for being a great world champion or WWE champion than he would be an intercontinental champion. So I think it's tough for me to put him number one right now but i'm with cam where i would definitely say he's definitely in my top five as far as intercontinental champions go like i said i would keep razor up there i'd keep mr perfect up there um you know 
I don't think I, I wouldn't necessarily put Bret Hart up there. Um, I, again, as somebody I associate more with his world title runs and his intercontinental title runs, but you know, for Chris Jericho, somebody I add up, put up there just because of the totality of all the reigns he had overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like we said, Gunther's been having banger after banger of a match with Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. His match with Ali was pretty good at Night of Champions. I mean, anybody, he had a match with Kevin Owens his past, or a couple weeks ago on um, on Raw that was pretty good. So he's definitely up there as far as Intercontinental Champions go, and I think his career is just starting and getting going. Um, I think, you know, it's again, this is he's going to be the biggest benefactor of Triple H, you know, quote unquote, still being fully in charge, uh, because if Vince was here, I doubt he would be getting even a sniff of this right now. So thankfully, Triple H, he's gone through Gunther's also gotten in great shape, too. I mean, he's also done his part as well. It's not just Triple H seeing him and being like, OK, I'm putting him in charge. No, he's definitely done his part. So um, it, it's nice to see there. And I look forward to seeing like what Gunther does from here on out, like said, I wish the rest of Imperium was treated a little bit better. I mean, we got KO and Sami Zayn looking like they're going to be defending the tag titles against them at some point. So maybe something fluky happens there and uh, they become a stable of champions. Uh, so who the hell knows? But we'll see. And uh, that kind of finishes up the WWE portion of our show right now. Let's switch over now to AEW. And this past Wednesday on Dynamite, we had the initial announcement for the first main event of AEW Collision taking place uh, this coming uh, Saturday, June 17th. Um, so that'll be the first show from Chicago with the main event said to be CM Punk and FDR taking on Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Samoa Joe. And that kind of plays into the idea that all the rumors were that Punk wanted to feud with Jay White on his comeback to uh, AEW, and he's possibly going to get this opportunity here. He also wanted to work with Samoa Joe, so here we are, the first main event, and we got those two guys right across from CM Punk, and kind of confirms maybe that CM Punk's going to be running things on his, like his show, and this is going to be, Collision will be his little baby, and he'll be able to book and feud with who he wants to on this show as well. Um so I'll let you, Cam, here start this time. Uh, does this main event announcement make you any more, uh, you know, I guess I want to say hyped for Collision coming up? And also, I'll throw this out there, over or under 750,000 viewers for the first show next Saturday? I mean, I'll start with the over. I mean, despite, you know, the, the mixed reactions that he may get, they said there was mixed reactions when Tony Khan announced it. I think there was a lot more cheers and boos. Uh, CM Punk, you know, a lot of these fans that watch pro wrestling like the three of us, you know, watch CM Punk have a, a fantastic run in the WWE for, you know, almost 10 years. You know, we politics are politics. Hogan, Brett, Sean, you name the freaking list. Warrior, pretty much anybody that was ever a top guy had art, had beef with pro wrestlers, had beef with booking. That's just kind of how it is. You know, they see themselves as a top guy and they want to be treated as so. So I'll definitely take the over. I mean, I think it's a solid um main event for their first show what scares me about collision is not the ticket sales what scares me about collision is that tony khan loves shiny new toys and in two three months is collision just going to be aew dark or rampage 2.0 i mean it's gonna it's gonna start having that feel i mean i feel like we're gonna see samoa joe defend you know a ring of honor title on there you know maybe we'll get ftr to defend the aew tag team titles on the show um but overall you know i'm looking forward to a punk's back um, I just hope at some point they do use like their main event guys, if you will, on the show. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll I'll go sli- I'll go just over. I think two for seven fifty. I think the intrigue will there be there enough, uh, you know, for people to take one Saturday out of their time and maybe watch it live. Like, oh shit, here comes CM Punk back in Chicago. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen what's happened with Rampage even before Collision started. I mean, Rampage has been not must watch and geez, I want to say almost a year. I can't remember the last time I actually watched a episode of rampage just cause you know, it's Friday at 10 o'clock, whether it's being out, whether there's sports being on, whether it's just, Hey, we're getting older and it's tough for us to stay up past 10 o'clock. But even that's the case. It's like, the matches that have been put on Rampage a lot just haven't been matches that you go out there and say, okay, well, yeah, I want to at least DVR and watch it later. It's like a lot of them aren't even that. And now Tony Khan's got another two hours of collision here to uh, to fill time with, and it's just like, okay, like you have the people to do it, but are you actually going to be able to put 
all of your effort into it. And that's why I've said time and time again, it's like, if you're going to do some kind of brand split here with these, like a soft brand split where guys can appear on both, but they might be more inclined to appear on one show all the time rather than the other. And Tony really needs to get somebody else to help him out with the booking of the show. And I know there's been talk that Brian Danielson has been helping backstage, but he needs like, I don't know if he has a full booking committee. I know I've seen the shows, the clips, the photos from, uh, what, uh, all access where Tony's got like his booking notebook and he's got all these kind of scrambled down notes and shit. Like he's fucking, you know, sniffing Coke at three in the morning and just writing down all the ideas he has at one time, just in little writing all together. But yeah, I mean, if it gets to the point where these ticket sales are affecting, you know, motivation from people, what's that, what's going to happen? Or if the ratings keep dipping and dipping to get down to like rampage level on Saturday nights, what's going to happen then? Cause like, I remember when this was first announced, I said, okay, well what's going to happen in the fall when it's like, yeah, you've got collision on at eight o'clock, but ESPN has got fucking like Alabama versus LSU on at the same time. Or, you know, you get to like, you know, football time when football starts playing some games on Saturdays, uh, wild card playoffs, you know, all that kind of stuff just affecting you down the line. How is that going to end up, you know, affecting the booking of the show when it gets bounced around. Is everybody going to be able to put the full motivation there is into the show? And what's going to happen inevitably, because, you know, we all like him. We you know, we know he's a good worker. What's inevitably going to happen when CM Punk has another dust-up with Tony Khan or says something that Tony Khan didn't approve? What's the chain of command going to be? Is Tony going to put his foot down? Is Tony going to sit there and look, oh, oh shit, uh, what should I do? And like we said before, the key point, what's going to happen when the next pay-per-view comes, which at this point would be... Um, all out in September. What's going to happen at that show when you got to presumably get Punk and the Bucks and Kenny in the same building? Are they going to be kept in separate locker rooms until each of them go on? Uh, who the hell knows? So it comes down to Tony Khan, first and foremost, putting the effort into making these shows either must watch or at the very least must DVR to watch the next morning. Um, but as we've seen with Rampage, it worries me what could happen down the line where we get there. Okay. Well, okay. People get, now it has a reputation that I don't even need to watch it at all. Even on DVR. Why? And then Tony Khan kind of trickles back in. It's almost like he's like, why even bother? Um, Chairman, your thoughts on the main event here and uh, over under seven fifty. I mean, what's going to happen is if, Saturday night collision goes against a WWE premier live event. I mean, wrestling fans are probably going to gravitate towards the premier live event unless they're diehard AEW fans. Tony Khan's going to say there's a conspiracy and that WWE scheduled it intentionally, obviously. Now he hasn't been paying attention the last year plus, (laughs) but I think they'll get the, I think they'll get that rating view that you say for sure. You know, Pessy Phil's back, you know, fresh, new, exciting show, you know, whatever. Um, I mean, you named it, you know, there's going to be some conflicts, especially in the fall when you get into football season. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other conflicts to be Saturday night. You know, the, the target demographic usually on a Saturday night ain't going to stay home and watch wrestling. Now, if you're you know, old as me, you know, you might flip it on if you're home, but at the same time, you might not because is there actually going to be commitment to making the show good or is it going to be another rampage where I don't get two shits? Like, you need to put your star players on. Of course, the first show is going to have Pepsi Phil, and it's going to have Jay White and FTR and Juice Robinson and Samoa Joe. It's going to be all flashy, you know, probably have some title matches. And But are you going to keep that momentum? Are you going to keep that same energy, you know, every week? Are you going to have that energy come November? Or are you going to start putting on, I don't know, Will Nightingale versus local indie jobber 7000? Like, what are we going to have here in a couple months? That's what I want to know. Because if you're going to be on a Saturday night, you know, that's at that time slot, you better be bringing the big guns. And I'm not talking about Billy Gunn. I'm talking about, you know, your top mid-event caliber players. I better be seeing John Moxley, Kenny, the Bucks, Heyman, you know, all these, you know, Britt Baker, Adam Cole, Chris Jericho. You know, I don't need to see Ring of Honor, Scrub, you know, local whatever. So if you're going to make this work, you know, I hope it does because – but. The way Dynamite is being portrayed lately, it's half-assed. Kind of nervous. I also think uh, Rampage is canceled in under a year. All right, bold mid-year prediction uh, from Chairman there as far as Rampage getting canceled. I still maintain it'll be some come some sign of like Ring of Honor show, but like not on TNT or TBS, wherever that channel is on. Some like maybe if they get a streaming service, they'll just do it on Fridays at 10 o'clock. Um I guess maybe if you want to look at one positive for AEW they have announced, is Forbidden Door taking place in two weeks on the 25th, and their top two matches they've announced so far are 
pretty much as big of matches you could possibly ask for with Kenny Omega defending the IWGP US heavyweight title against Will Ospreay and Brian Danielson taking on Okada in a singles match. I mean, those two matches there almost make it must see. But my question would be like, okay, these have two great matches. But at the same time, does it change anything for AEW as far as where their momentum is right now? I mean, we all talked about how they're kind of struggling right now. And even it does become a must-buy show. I mean, for me, it's June 20. I mean, you know, it's you know, obviously it's two weeks away. I would have nothing to do right now. At the moment. It's a Sunday night. It kind of helps the idea of it poss- maybe possibly wanting to buy it. But, I mean, do I really want to plunk down 60 bucks when I could probably just watch these matches somewhere, maybe not legally, the next day? Um, and again, with these shows, I mean, obviously I'm not taking away anything from the show. It's going to be, these two matches are going to be great. I mean, the first Omega Osprey match was great. I mean, Daniel San Okada is a dream match. Everybody's wanted to see. Um, but at the same time, it's like to kind of just stop gaps for AEW where there's really no continuation for them after this show, as far as any of this goes. I mean, yeah, Omega and Osprey might fight again, but it'll probably be in Japan uh, on a new Japan show. Danielson and Okada might be the same thing, but like it's great to have these matches, but at the same time, the long-term storytelling in AEW, it doesn't really play into too much of things unless you get become more of a working relationship with New Japan and AEW, but they've already announced the uh, G1 card, and we don't have any Daniel Bri- or Brian Danielson, uh, Omega's not in it, there's no John Moxley, so there's nothing there to talk about as far as possible long-term storytelling. Um, so who the hell knows? I mean, we've only got two matches announced so far. I'm sure there'll be a Tanahashi match. Maybe Jay White takes on some old Bullet Club members here at some point. Who the hell knows? But, I mean, those fans going there, I wish I would have gotten tickets now at this point to Toronto, are going to have a treat just watching these two matches. Uh, so uh, great for them. But I guess uh, my question, I'll go to you, Cam, first. Like, are these, are these great matches worth having as a stopgap? Or do you think, you know, in the end, are you going to end up paying money to watch the show? The thing with them having Forbidden Door and these interpromotional shows that Tony Khan does is that he's satisfying the internet fans, fanboys of giving us Danielson and Okada. And, you know, kudos to him. You know, he gets he gets points for doing these matches. You know, Danielson Okada probably never happens if Tony Khan doesn't create his own promotion. Who knows? Maybe Danielson, if there was no AEW, maybe Danielson leaves the WWE and goes to New Japan for a little bit and then comes back, WWE retires as, you know, and in does some back backstage booking and things like that, or helps with, you know, producing matches and things like that. Cause he even said, you know, he, he left a lot of money on the table from WWE. That was definitely taking care of him through his retirement and all that stuff to go to AEW to wrestle. And it's been quite hilarious that he just refuses to bump, you know, for AEW outside of like the match they had a couple weeks ago at the pay-per-view. Other than that, he just does commentary and lets, lets less of the guys at bullet club do their thing. So it's quite hilarious, you know, that he's, you know, clearly has only so much time left on the table, but he's like, yeah, I'm not going to wrestle on dynamite in, in fucking Toledo, Ohio or anything like that. Um, I mean, yeah, he gets kudos for that. Omega, you know, will Osprey is, is interesting because this is finally the time that Osprey comes over to AEW more than just once in a while and mm-hmm. sides with Don Callis and Takashita. Who knows? You know, I kind of feel like that's kind of the obvious choice to do. And, you know, sometimes in wrestling, the obvious choice is a good choice. You know, if you have, Callis and Takashita cost Kenny that title and you have Will Ospreay come over to AEW for at least once a month or, you know, at least for their big shows or things like that. And, you know, that adds intrigue to Dynamite Weekly. But that's on the other side, you know, of the coin is that, yes, Tony Khan, you know, gets points for doing these forbidden door shows. Um, Everyone wants Punk versus uh, Kenta. Let's see if these guys got the balls to do it. Um, Let's see if we can get those guys in the ring and have the battle of, of the of the finishing moves. So we'll see um, outside of these two matches. There's nothing you can really do. That's probably really, really going to intrigue people. You could do maybe do, I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, another big marquee match that you could do from new Japan guys with a crossover for AEW. but Moxley's probably already had all those matches while going over to Japan. And that's kind of one of the things that, you know, that I don't like that Tony Khan does. He lets these guys, he lets his top draws or his, you know, bigger draws, go work in Mexico, go work in Canada, go work in Japan when they should be working the States. They should be working all these shows and they're, they're basically risking their careers. And, you know, they're doing these things, you know, you had um, everyone in Blackpool combat club, except Danielson go and fight, you know, in Japan here a few weeks ago. So 
sometimes it is a little funny to that Tony Khan's kind of too much of a yes man. He's like he just wants to please the internet marks, and you know he searches shit on Twitter all all day when he's flying from London to America, from everywhere he flies to. You know he's just vanity searching, you know AEW bot accounts that say, "Oh, Tony Khan's the best booker in wrestling history." Now on the other side of it, like you just said, what does this pay per view even do for for Dynamite the following Wednesday? Probably nothing. Like I said, outside of Osprey beating Kenny because of Takashita and Don Callis, nothing that they're going to do. There's not going to be a follow-up to Okada and Danielson. You're not going to have Okada come out and cut a half-English promo. You know, how about him and Danielson had a fantastic match. Um, Danielson might comment on commentary when Blackpool Combat Club's, you know, fighting whoever on Dynamite. Um, So there is no follow-up. It is like a glorified one-off which is fine, but at the same time, when your product hasn't been must-see television in a year and a half, um, I don't know. I mean, and the fact that, I mean, MJF needs to be on this card, right? Like, MJF needs to be defending that title, or at least in a singles match against someone from New Japan, or what the hell are we even doing? Yeah, it's funny. I saw something on Tony Khan the other day where somebody, I don't even remember what the story was, but there was some kind of story from an English newspaper about a release clause for one of his Fulham guys, and he responded and quote tweeted and said, there is no release clause. Like, that's okay, yeah, that's exactly the kind of stuff that he uh, ends up going out there on Twitter to try to do. Um, Chairman, what are your thoughts on Forbidden Door and just is it a show you're interested in getting? Well, speaking of MJF, real quick, follow up Cam here. It's like, why the hell are we doing this Adam Cole Eliminator match shit for? I thought we we're done with all that garbage. Um, anyhow, I'm not spending fifty bucks. I'm I'm tight with my money nowadays. Um, Twenty is probably the max that you'd be willing to spend. You know, it's like I said last week. Get on a freaking streaming service. Everybody has one now. Stop being stupid. Get on one. Um, but yeah, these, I mean, obviously the two matches advertised are good. I mean. Definitely would be interested in seeing Okada versus Brian Danielson. Obviously, we've seen Omega and Osprey. They had a killer match at Wrestle Kingdom, but you know, after that, what, what's what are you gonna do? You gonna have Sonata versus MJF? I mean, I don't I don't know what you're gonna do. I mean, you're gonna have um, Yoshihashi, the worst wrestler of all time, and his partner Goto go against FTR again. I mean. Jay Weiss wrestled everybody over there. It's like, you know, Cam said, John Mosley pretty much wrestled Japan, you know, and how many times over and over again. So it's like, the more you kind of do this uh, Forbidden Door thing, the less intrigue I really have in it because I kind of seen all these matches already and there's really no storylines with them. Not that AEW is really good at storylines anyway. They kind of suck at it, to be honest. I mean, there's really no build to it. I haven't seen really anybody from New Japan. Like, at least last year, guys were showing up from New Japan. Like, you know, Ishii came over. You know, a few times had some banger matches. I think uh, Minoru Suzuki was showing up. You know, this year like no one's shown up yet. You're a couple weeks away. Like, how are you gonna try to build this event? It's just like I think they're just gonna throw some shit at the wall, like WWE style, before Triple H took over and hope it sticks. But uh, that's not worth my hard-earned money. And of course, the Dynamite after, like y'all said, it's like, oh, moving on. Um, we gotta get ready for this Wembley show, but we won't even start building towards that until like two weeks before. So. Cool. It's something to fill, you know, people's time with. You know, I'm sure the matches will be good, but again, fifty bucks, a lot of money these days, guys. I got car repairs, so no bueno. It's funny. I've seen some people suggest MJF fight Ishii at the show because you know you need somebody. If you want MJF on the card, you obviously need somebody that Japan's willing to lose. But I'm like, uh, that is the complete mismatch of styles that I do not need to see at all uh, whatsoever. But yeah, I mean, you would think they'd want MJF on the show at some point in some in some kind of match. Um, defending against you i mean assuming both him and sonata will probably be on there i mean there's a litany of guys you can pick from aew to have sonata lose to or have sonata beat excuse me um i don't know about the opposite i'm like you said i I don't know who you can throw out there from new japan to do it uh but yeah mjf ishii or mjf suzuki is just a complete i don't need to see those kind of matches uh at all um and yeah and i'm with you as far as the adam cole title eliminator stuff it's like what's the difference between this and the championship contender matches that people used to shit on when WWE did it? Like they're both equally bad. I don't want to see them like just have Cole become a number one contender in a normal way. And maybe that'll get him in better standing as a babyface. Uh, last thing we're going to talk about here, uh, something Cam brought up to me uh, that he saw the other day was an article uh, from where Matt Hardy did some comparisons from Orange Cassidy to the undertaker. And I think between uh, when he first sent it to me and uh since the comments came out, he's kind of clarified his comments and said that 
Yeah, his comparison was of the ilk that Orange Tony Khan depends on Orange Cassidy like Vince McMahon depended on Undertaker from day one out of loyalty. Um, that's what he said now. I don't know if he's just kind of going that way to kind of uh, correct himself from what he said originally or what people interpreted that he said uh, originally. But I don't know, man. I mean, I, Orange Cassidy's grown on me, and I know the Undertaker gimmick was out of its uh, was you know extraordinary for his time, and Orange Cassidy has his own unique gimmick too, but. I, I think the comparison is a bit heavy there. I don't think exactly it, it fits together. I mean, Cam, you're the one that brought this up to me. What are your thoughts on it? Well, really quickly to, to touch on the MJF Adam Cole stuff. I mean, MJF found his groove again. I think he cut a fantastic promo, barely brought up Britt Baker. Um, we'll see how that goes as we continue on because that's what we were kind of afraid of. Fantastic promo. Um, you know, use some of Adam Cole's old promo stuff and things like that. I thought it was fantastic. And then Adam Cole did a fucking babyface promo and I almost wanted to throw up. And literally, I mean, I just I don't get it. The guy is a badass. He doesn't need to act like this stupid babyface, like, oh, they respect me. They respect me. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. Like, you get respect, fucking sweet. What's that gonna do for you? You're in the middle of the card, you're not gonna be MGF for the world title. And you're back to fucking playing video games on the internet, like Adam, MGF said. Um, now to go into what to this, I mean, he, Adam Matt Hardy cleared or um, clarified his comments, but yeah, they rely on each other. But M- Orange Cassidy is not the fucking Undertaker. Never gonna be the Undertaker. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Orange Cassidy even have ever had a main event match? The Undertaker was in a main event match, his second match in, in the WWE. I mean, he beat Hulk Hogan a fucking what a month into his career for the world title. Um, Orange Cassidy's never going to be a world champion unless you know some random independent promotion puts him in the as the champion. Um, and to talk about the gimmicks and stuff, Undertaker changed his gimmick he changed i know cassidy's been it's only been three or four years in AEW, and undertaker had a 20 plus year ring but the undertaker had gimmick changes um he tweaked not only his gimmick but his attire you know he went from the purple to the gray and he did different things orange cassidy's been doing the same shtick this entire time um he puts he puts the title in the backpack that's so clever and so cool man like heck yeah that's so cool that he carries a title on a backpack um I don't know. It's it's hilarious. Clearly, Matt Hardy's just trying to, you know, give Tony Khan some credit and be like, you know, they're 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 relying on these guys. And again, it's it's just kind of it's a little cringe to me because Orange Cassidy is a mid card comedic relief character. He's a mid card guy who had a great match with Swerve. But honestly, Swerve looks like a champion and Orange Cassidy looks like the guy you'd pay 10 bucks to go to an indie show and laugh because he does the little fake kicks. That's the difference between a lot of these guys. I think Swerve at some point should be beating um, Orange Cassidy for that title. I mean, the match was great, but I think, again, that Swerve looks like a champion, has the build and the body and the physique and the persona and all this stuff, and Orange Cassidy is just your novelty comedy act that, you know, and that's kind of the problem a lot with a lot of these AEW guys that are not WWE guys at some point is that they're being overexposed. Yeah, if you saw them once or twice a year on the indie scene, they're coming to your town, or Orange Cassidy's coming to California. Can't wait to see him do his little hands-in-his-pocket shtick and do the little fake kicks. Ha, 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 take a picture with him after the show for 10 bucks and see you next year. But now that we're getting it every single week, it's like, what do you do in your character to make it even at least a little bit different? And nothing. Um, he's added a Jan Sport backpack. That's his been his character alteration. Um, so to me, I, I think it's comical. I think it's Matt Hardy, just like Jericho trying to, you know, stick up for his boss, which is fine. He's paying you a lot of money to do absolutely nothing with Ethan page, which is terrible. And Matt Hardy's in a point in his career where he's had a great career. And right now he's just collecting a paycheck from Tony Khan, probably way more money than what the WWE would give him, um, to do these dumb things. And so Matt Hardy's just sticking up for his boss which is fine, but at the same time, you can never compare Orange Cassidy to The Undertaker. It's comical. You look stupid. Even though he clarified his comments, he still looks dumb because they, I don't know, it's just, it's completely two different worlds to me. It's The Undertaker, who was the best big man of all time, who's a legend, and Orange Cassidy, who wouldn't even sniff a Hall of Fame. 
Yeah, and it helped the you know, like you said, Undertaker winning the title within a year of him debuting, and it's you know he fights Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan sells him as like a serious threat. I mean, I remember when I was a kid watching the the funeral parlor uh, segment where Undertaker rips the cross off of Hulk Hogan. I was like, oh, sh-. like even when, like before that, I was like, shit, this Undertaker guy is like scary, and he's like. A tough guy and like I remember thinking this guy just doesn't feel pain you know you got that belief with the Undertaker and you know Orange Cassidy yes he's a good wrestler but I don't have a belief of him being a, a world champion yet down the line like you said you know he's three four years into his AEW career where Taker had a 20 plus you know what is it 30 plus year career pretty much um uh Chairman what are your thoughts on the subject as we wrap up here well, first you text me OC oh, I thought you were talking about the club between Gals and Anderson I'm like what <laughs> <laughs> I'm like dear god I thought Matt Hardy really did go broken, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not even close to comparing these two. I mean, Undertaker. I mean, you guys pretty much nailed it. You know, Undertaker has been a, you know, the list of accolades he's has is goes on and on. I'm sure we got a podcast, you know, talking about his awesomeness. You know, back when he retired, you know, way back yonder. But I mean, like the dude had a WrestleMania streak. You know, it's like you said, he came in and beat Hogan and won the title right from the get go. You know, he had how many? Changes to his, you know, gimmick over the years. I mean, we even had Underbiker, and he made that work. I mean, the the coffin matches. I mean, way better than the Orange Punch matches, or the hell that was, Orange Mosa, him and Jericho. That's that's that terrible. That's why we never see it again. Whereas Katsu matches, they they stood around for a while. Like it's just, I mean, maybe behind the scenes, sure, but you know, Undertaker was like the locker room kind of leader guy. He was the one that had wrestler court and shit. Like. Orange Cassidy ain't going to be throwing a court back there. It's going to be the Bucks and Kenny. And if they don't like it, you're going to get CM punked out of there. So it just tells me, like, this comparison, I just don't see it. I mean, sure, Matt's been in both locker rooms and with both wrestlers, but comparing Orange Cassidy to Undertaker is quite comical, in my opinion. All right, and that is our show for this week as we touch on topics throughout WWE and AEW, and we will be back with you guys to talk about any more subjects, uh, AEW, WWE-related, New Japan, whatever it is in the world of pro wrestling in the week to come. So for my co-host Cam and the chairman, Stephen Vincent, I'm Justin C. signing off, and we will talk to you guys then.